Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening, and welcome to Whose Podcast Is This Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight, and it is August 12th, 2016. Let's go ahead and get right into our uh, my welcome to my mind mare segment. All right, so a few things on my mind is it's Friday, August twelfth. On Wednesday, um, just a couple days ago, on the tenth, I celebrated my twentieth wedding anniversary. It was it was a lot of fun. We kind of did a family vacation. My wife and I we have a couple kids, um, sixteen and and fifteen years old. And, uh, we, uh, we went and did a few things. We, uh, took a few day trips. We went to the Mall of America. Um, we went to the local, um, Valley Fair here in town. We, uh, we did a few things. And then for a couple days, we ditched the kids, the wife and I. We went down to, uh, Madison, Wisconsin. We had a bunch of fun down there. We went, um, and saw a couple movies during vacation, which is always kind of nice. I'm a big movie buff, so. Having the chance to go and uh, just, you know, do a movie or two and not have to worry about, you know, getting up the next day or whatever. So you can go to a late movie then, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. It was a lot of fun. We went and saw, let's see, what did we see? We saw uh, The uh, Secret Life of Pets, which was, strangely enough, it was cuter than I thought it was going to be. Um, I, I figured, uh, in a, like a lot of movies nowadays, you got all the good stuff. Before you even get to see the, um, uh, you know, and then previews, you get all the good stuff. And then you go see the movie and you're like, I already saw all the good stuff. Um, that wasn't the case with this one. It was actually a really cute movie um, with, you know, uh, uh, animals acting like humans, basically. Um, so it's a standard fare that way. But uh, uh, we also went and saw um, Suicide Squad. Um, I was really excited to see Suicide Squad. Unfortunately, that one you did see all the good stuff in the vi- in the previews. I was quite disappointed in uh, Suicide Squad as a fan of the Joker. Um, I thought some of it was really done well. I think the uh, the uh, young lady who played uh, Harley Quinn she did a fantastic job. Uh, Will Smith played uh, Deadshot. He did a fantastic job. Um, there was another actor in the part of El Diablo. Uh, which I thought was, he did an excellent job too. Unfortunately, they killed him off. Uh, spoiler alert. Unfortunately, they killed El Diablo off, um, in the, uh, in the movie. So he will not be back for the sure to follow sequel to this. Um, if it doesn't end up being a office box, uh, flop. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, Gamehole Con is coming up. Um, this is a convention that, uh, I will be going to for the, uh, second time. Uh, it's in its fourth year. It's a great convention. It reminds me a lot, um, if you're a convention goer, of going to Gen Con um, with a lot of bonuses to Gen Con's negatives. The big bonus is it's only two hours away versus being eight hours away. 
Um, and last year when I went versus when I've been going to Gen Con, it cost me about half as much between travel and hotel and all that kind of fun stuff. So those are two big bonuses for me. They have, they have, um, very, uh, varied and very, and, and a lot of, um, guests that they gave me in to do seminars and things like that. Um, last year, I believe they had over 800 offerings in, in games and things like that. Um, it's in November. Uh, I got really excited because I am now, um, not only signed up to go, but I also have my schedule of events that I'm going to be doing. So I think, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you get a chance, uh, gamehole.com, uh, just, Go out, check them out, and if you're into conventions, I say go ahead and do it. Um, another big thing, and and it's not so big right now anymore, is Pokemon Go. Um, it's a game that I started playing uh, with my daughters uh, as something to do that I would have in common with them. So I find it, um, I, I still really kind of enjoy doing it. I don't do it as much as we were in the beginning. Um, but, uh, Pokemon Go, I think, at least for me, um, and I don't know about anybody else, but for me, I think it's going to be around for a while. I think it's going to stick. Um, you don't see the big groups downtown anymore, anything like that, but, uh, I still do know several people that are still playing, so, um, I think that it's going to last for a little bit longer. Um, and with that, let's go ahead and, uh, step right into this week in history. Um, I get all my facts for this week in history at www.history.com slash this day in history. So let's start with today, uh, August 12th, 1990, the skeleton of Tyrannosaurus Rex discovered. On this day in 1990, fossil hunter Susan Hendrickson discovers three huge bones jutting out of a cliff near Faith, South Dakota. They turn out to be part of the largest ever Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton ever discovered. A 65-million-year-old specimen dubbed Sue after its discoverer. Amazingly, Sue's skeleton was over 90% complete, and the bones were extremely well-preserved. Now, this is just a neat little article I found. Um, I'm a big fan of dinosaurs. I don't think anybody looks at a dinosaur really and goes, eh, you know, I, I'm not a paleontologist by any means. I can't look at the skeletons of different dinosaurs and go, well, that's a, you know, that's a Tyrannosaurus and that's a Brontosaurus. Um, I mean, obviously you got your huge plant eaters and your small meat eaters, but, um, I just think that's a really neat, um, uh, little tidbit there. And the fact that it was over 90% complete, I think that may be the most complete skeleton, um, at this point in history. So that's, that's pretty neat. Um, Let's go back a couple days, August 10th, 1776. London learns of American independence. On this day in 1776, news reaches London that the Americans had drafted the Declaration of Independence. Until the Declaration of Independence formally transformed the 13 British colonies into states, both Americans and the British saw the conflict centered in Massachusetts as a local uprising within the British Empire. To King George III, it was it was a colonial rebellion, and to the Americans, it was a struggle for their rights as British citizens. However, when Parliament continued to oppose any reform and remained unwilling to negotiate with the American rebels, and instead hired Hessians, which are German mercenaries, to help the British army crush the rebellion, 
the Continental Congress began to pass measures abolishing British authority in the colonies. So, it's on this day that over in London, they found out that the uh, the Americans, we were being naughty, and they decided they needed to come slap our fingers. And if you're listening to this from America, you know how that ended up. Uh, we ended up beating the British. Uh, later on in history, King George III goes insane. Um, and here we are today. So one more item is from August 9th, 378 A.D. The Romans routed at Adrianople. In one of the most decisive battles in history, a large Roman army under Valens, the Roman Emperor of the East, is defeated by the Visigoths at the Battle of Adrianople in present-day Turkey. Two-thirds of the Roman army, including Emperor Valens himself, were overrun and slaughtered by the mounted barbarians. The decisive Visigoth victory at the Battle of Adrianople left the Eastern Roman Empire nearly defenseless and established the supremacy of cavalry over infantry that would last for the next millennium. Emperor Valens was succeeded by Thedonius the Great, who struggled to repel the hordes of Visigoth barbarians, plundering the Balkan Peninsula. So, this article really catches me because the Roman Empire is really something that I find to be very fascinating. Um, and the fact that they were overrun by a bunch of, well, you know, when they talk barbarians, what they're really saying is not us. Okay, so the Romans, they weren't Romans, therefore they're barbarians. But the fact that these mounted barbarians, so these these Visigoths on horses, took what the, uh, the cavalry, took the infantry and just trampled over it. This is something the Romans probably did not see coming. The only mounted people of the Roman Empire were, were, you know, generals and things like that, people in charge. They sat on their horses at the back of battle. They weren't part of the battle. And I don't think they realized that riding a horse into combat could actually be as effective as it was. All right, so let's get right into our guest. Um, tonight we have Scott Ahern. Yes. Hey, I said it right for once. I usually mispronounce his last name. Now, I've known Scott for several years, actually. We got to know each other through uh, some volunteering we did with one of the local high schools. Um, Scott and I have a lot of things in common, and we have a lot of things not in common. Uh, one of the things we do have in common, though, is we are both gamers. We both in play, enjoy playing board games. We both enjoy doing role-playing games, such as Dungeons and & Dragons, and games such as that. Now, on last week's episode, when I said Scott was coming to see us, sit with us this week, I thought that he was going to talk about TV or movies. And I'm going to refine that a little bit to say I think he's going to talk about TV, and in, in specific, certain TV series that him and I talk about on occasion. So, I'm going to ask Scott to uh, introduce himself. I'm going to ask him to tell us a little bit about himself, what he does, what he does for fun besides gaming and hanging out with me. And then, once he's done with that, I'm going to ask him if I was right or not. So, let's start with that. Scott, tell us about yourself. All right. Uh, well, as you said, I'm Scott Ahern, originally from Boston, Massachusetts. I now live in the Stevens Point Plover area. And he drives a car. Yes. 
an electric car. <laughs> but I am a high school English teacher and Spanish and English as a learned language. And uh, what I do for fun besides gaming, hanging out with Chad, and hanging out with my, fa- my wife and uh, currently six-year-old daughter is I like to read. Go figure. An English teacher likes to read. That's like um, that's like an English teacher that likes to read. Yes. All right. Very similar, actually. I believe so. Mm-hmm. All right. So then, Scott, let me know. Was I right or am I wrong? Are we talking TV series tonight? We are not. We're not. No, we are not. All right. So I'm going to let you folks in on a little secret out there. Scott walked in with a bunch of books. So I already knew I was wrong. However, I have not walked over and looked at the pile of books he has sitting there. So, are we talking a genre? Are we talking an author? Are we talking a time period of of books? What are we talking tonight? We are talking a particular author. All right. Uh, specifically, uh, Sir Terry Pratchett. Excellent. An author I've never read. Yes. Unfortunately, um, the late... Sir Terry Pratchett. Yeah. He died a little over a year ago, complications from early onset Alzheimer's. Okay. Yeah, I do remember seeing that, um, I believe, either on Facebook or Google Plus or Mm -hmm. something like that. So, Yes, uh, he was a British author, um, and he is probably most famous for his Discworld series of novels, which... Uh, at the time of his passing, included over 40 novels, not counting the young adult novels he wrote that were also set in Discworld. Okay, and so... he sold millions and millions of copies, been translated into multiple languages around the world. Okay, so 40 books in the series. Mm-hmm. Is it a single story arc, or is it sections of story, or is it... Each book builds onto the story, or is it a mixture of all that? It's pretty much a mixture of all that. Um, the core common element is the setting, the environment, Discworld itself, um, which is described in, in several of the books as if the creator of the universe was actually trying to make a pizza. And then uh, when he got about halfway through, got really excited, and then threw a bunch of other stuff on it, including life, and said, hey, it's a world. Okay. All right, so Discworld. Are we talking a flat world here? Yes. Flat and round, like a record. Okay. An old LP vinyl. All right. So what does it have in common with the Earth we sit on? Does it spin on an axis? It does not spin exactly on an axis. Um, it's not two-dimensional. It, it is Three-dimensional, okay. it has So there is a you thickness can... to it. Yes. Um, it has mountain ranges. It has oceans. Um, the, the core element, if you were, say, for example, to be looking at it from space. All right. Probably the, the first thing you'd notice would be what they call the rimfall. That's the oceans of the disc world falling off the edge. So like ancient man thought you could fall off the edge of the world, you can fall off the edge of disc world. Yes, you can. And in fact, uh, one of the nations of the Discworld built a giant fence that goes around almost all of the disc, specifically to stop people from falling off. Okay. Um, so if you fall off, are you just left in a in a? Well, okay. So water falls off. You said that. Yes. So 
Is there a big water slick following this world through space? Um, if you fall off of it, do you go off in the outer space? What what happens? If you fall off it, chances are you would fall into outer space and just float away. The water itself, however, um, because of Discworld's high magic field. Okay, Discworld, as it's described, exists on the very edge of reality because in an infinite universe, anything that can occur has to. Okay. And so, since this could possibly occur, it does. All right. But it, okay. it's intensely magical, and the the world basically exists because of magic and the the thought that okay something has to exist everywhere so it's here okay so now when you say the world is magical uh are the people within the world magical not all of them it has wizards okay it has witches all right it has um elves dwarves gnomes goblins golems so very okay. classical Dungeons and Dragonsy kind of feel medieval kind of setting. Kind, kind of yes. Um, in the the later books, it, you start to see elements of technology. For example, uh, one of the last books involved the invention of a steam locomotive. Okay. However, um, elves are not intrinsically magical the way they are in D&D. Okay. Um, in, in fact, they're described more as homicidal maniacs who you don't want to be anywhere near. Okay. I, I've i met a few elves like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, um, in fact, in a couple of the books, he talks about the elves and that they actually live in a different dimension and they can only come into... Uh, the Discworld universe at certain times when the... Are you familiar with the concept of parallel universes? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, in Discworld, it introduces the concept of parasite universes, which so, is... a universe that feeds on another universe. Yes. It, it can't subsist on its own, and so it latches onto another one, kind of like a, a remora onto a shark. Okay. And at certain times... The universes are close enough and the barrier of reality thins enough that you can go from one to the other. Okay, so that that's elves. Let's yes. let's kick through these these different types. Dwarves. Are they a standard D D dwarf? Are they in intrinsically underground dwellers, mountain dwellers, that kind of thing? Yes. And they're all bearded. Uh you The women the, included? The women women included in, in fact Nobody's entirely sure how many female dwarves there are because up until one of them joins the uh, largest city's police force as a forensic specialist, everybody dresses the same and dwarves unilaterally use the male pronouns for everybody. Okay. So All they, right. they say that the re one of the reasons that dwarven courtships take so long is that the two people who are interested take a number of years to find out if one of them is actually female. Okay, that's that's one way to look at it, I guess. All right, so then, so we got elves, we have dwarves, humans. Yes. Um, what else do we have? Trolls. Trolls. Um, big green scaly things that regenerate after you beat them up. Big yes, no to the rest. Okay. In, in Discworld, trolls are actually animate rocks. Animate rocks. Okay, yes. so more like what a person that plays D&D &D would regard as a golem? 
Or even an Earth Elemental. Okay. Okay. And they uh, generally stay in the high altitudes of the mountains. Which would make sense. Right. But the the reason they explain that is that, and they only come out at night usually, because they talk about how their brains are made out of impure silicon. Okay. So essentially, they have computers for brains. Right. Now, as someone who works with computers, uh, you're familiar with the need of keeping a processor cool. Correct. Which is why you have fans right. on computers. Yeah, yep. heat sink fans, right. all that fun stuff. And so the trolls in Discworld, when their brains get too hot, they shut down. Okay, so they got to find shade to keep from... Right. Or during the day, they basically curl up into a ball and go to sleep. Okay. All right. So that, that covers humans, elves, dwarves, trolls. Um, you Various types of undead, vampires, zombies, okay. ghosts. Pretty standard on those? No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although the... Uh, there is, interestingly, there is the Black Ribbon Society. The Black Ribbon Society. Yes. Uh, the official name is the League of Temperance. Okay. And think of it as AA for vampires. <laughs> they they swear off human blood. Okay. Animal blood's okay? Yes. Okay. So, kind of a uh, Louis from the uh, Interview with a Vampire, where he kind of swore off human blood for, you know, a couple centuries or whatever. So, kind of on that line of they can subsist off of other blood, but it's not as good or as tasty as human blood? Perhaps. The the real reason they did it is because they're trying to mainstream. They, they don't want to stay in the castle wearing um, opera gowns and tuxedos all the time. They want to be able to be part of society and not have to worry about a rampaging mob with stakes and torches and crosses. Fair enough. All right, so let's get back to the world itself. So it's a disc shape. Yes. Obviously. it's mm-hmm. It's got a thickness to it. Do we know what the thickness is? Has anybody ever dug through it? And if you did dig through it, what are you going to find? Well, there is, is there another there is world under the bottom? Uh, there is not. Okay. Uh, there is something underneath it, though. There is. Yes. In fact, there's five somethings underneath it. Okay. The five somethings are four enormous elephants. All right. And Great Atuan the Star Turtle. Great Atuan the Star Turtle. Yes. Uh, she is, in one of the books, they reveal that Great Atuan is actually female. Okay. And she is uh, basically a 10,000 mile long turtle swimming through space. Okay. So is Discworld larger than her or smaller or the same size or... Um, Is it never really... When viewed from above, and one of the the books I brought in has some amazing artwork by Paul Kidby, who is the primary artist who's worked with Sir Terry Pratchett on Discworld. Okay. And when viewed from top down, you see uh, in the middle of Discworld is Cori Celesti, which is uh, an ice mountain. Okay. At the top of which is the City of the Gods. Okay. And... uh, uh, it's not really odd or ironic, but Sir Terry Pratchett is known for his clever wordplay and his satire. Okay. And so the name of the City of the Gods is Don Manifestin. Don Manifestin? Don Manifestin. Okay, so I'm not... If you break it apart, you get Don Manifesting out of it, and of course... Right. 
the, okay. the appearance of the the deity and whatnot. So right. they're they're finished with that. So now they're they're in their they're house. In the, okay. They went home after work. All right. So you see the the central mountain. You see the disc, and sticking out from the front side, you see the head, and sticking out from the back side, you just see the tail of the turtle. Okay, so, so if, if it's ten thousand miles long, figured Discworld itself has a diameter of nine thousand to ninety five hundred miles. Okay, fair enough. All right, so there's a turtle. The turtle is larger than the the, the, the disc. Yes, and four enormous elephants, elephants who are standing on the shell of the turtle. Okay, so they're not ten thousand miles long. No, and on their shoulders. Sits the Discworld. Okay. Now and it spins? It rotates, yes. Okay. So, now Dwarven legend in Discworld has it that there was actually a fifth elephant that was supposed to be in the middle to help support the weight of Cory Celesti, the central spire. Okay. But something happened, he slipped off Great Atuan's shell or whatever... And fell off and got caught by gravity and came back up, maybe following the orbit of the sun, and came plummeting down to the disc world and splat and threw up some of the mountain ranges and got buried. And that the remains of the elephants, because if you think about it, okay, an elephant that large, if for whatever reason you decide to introduce logic into this conversation. Okay. You would say, well, what is it going to use for nerves? And the dwarves believe that all of the ores and treasures that they find underground are the remains of that fifth elephant. Okay. Now, since we're not going to bring logic into this, yes. what do the elephants and the... Uh, uh, Krakatoan, no, what, what's the name of the turtle? Great Atuan. Great Atuan. What do they eat? Nobody really knows. Every so Stardust often, and, and pixies? What? Well, every so often, Great Atuan will eat a meteor or asteroid that's headed for the Discworld. To save it. To save it. Probably. Maybe that's how she eats. Okay. Is she headed somewhere? Or is she just... Swimming out there for the heck of it. There are a couple of theories okay. about that, and um, actually, I'll I'll read you one of them. Okay, and where are we reading from? This is from the very first Discworld book. It's okay. called The Color of Magic. So, um, as, as I mentioned, there was uh, this one nation on Discworld called Crawl that built that giant fence around most of the edge okay. of the world to keep things from falling off. All right. So, um, since they live on the edge of Discworld, um, they have seen the head of the turtle. So they, they know it's there and it's spurred all sorts of theological and scientific research. So there's two theories that they have. So the first one is that Great Atuan had come from nowhere and would continue at a uniform crawl or steady gate into nowhere for all time. This theory was popular among academics. They call themselves the steady gate faction. Okay. An alternative favored by those of a religious persuasion was that Atuan was crawling from the birthplace to the time of mating, as were all the stars in the sky, which were obviously also carried by giant turtles. So That, of course, goes back to the old um, terrestrial concept of ethnocentrism or entropics, 
which was that Earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around us and everything out there was like us. Right. So, all right. So it's either she's headed nowhere, Mm -hmm. she came from nowhere and is headed nowhere, or like Earth sea turtles, she's working towards the shore to mate. Right. And uh, it says, when they arrived, they would briefly and passionately mate for the first and only time. And from that fiery union, new turtles would be born to carry a new pattern of worlds. This was known as the Big Bang Hypothesis. <laughs> the Big Bang Hypothesis. Yes. And there again, okay. we get that it's clever that word play. play. All right. So they mate new turtles. So new worlds are being mm-hmm. formed. What happens to the two mating turtles? Do they die off? Is that nope. the idea? They nope. just continue they on? They just continue. Do they continue to another mating at some point? Nobody knows. Okay. Now, in the second book, yes. Light Fantastic, we actually find where Great Atuan is going. And where is she going? I can't tell you. You can't tell no, me? No, it is the central plot point of the second book. Okay. If, if I told you that, anyone who would be interested in reading... There's no reason There's to. There's no reason to. Okay, that's fair enough. So the first two books, which are The Color of Magic and Light Fantastic. Yes. Which kind of sounds like a 70s song. Um, but anyway, those two go together. Yes. Is there more to that part of the series? Are those kind of two together or? Um, well, the, the book I brought with me has those two in a single volume. Okay. And they introduce a few characters that become very important throughout the rest of the Discworld series. Okay. Now, after those two, the series kind of splits off into several tracks. Okay. Uh, the first one deals with one of the main characters from the first two books, Rincewin the Wizard. Rincewin the Wizard. Yes. He, he has got a knack for names, doesn't he? Yes. And I don't necessarily mean that as a compliment, but he has a knack for names. Yes. All right. Um. So, what what track is the is it? Uh, I suppose I should just probably shut up and let you tell me about Rincewind. Okay, Rincewind is a failed wizard. Okay, he enrolled at the only college of wizardry on the planet, Unseen University, and as a student on a dare. He went into the supposedly super secure storage room where the Octavo, or the the creator's spell book, was stored. Okay. And when he went in there, he opened the book, and one of the eight great spells that brought the universe into existence lodged itself in his brain. All right, so he gets a gift for breaking the rules. Not quite. He cannot learn any other spell. They're all too afraid of the great spell that's in his head. Okay, so he knows one creation spell, basically. Which he can't cast. He can't do anything with. Okay, and why not? If he knows the spell, why can't he cast it? Well, he doesn't really know it. It's just stuck in his brain. It's hiding. Okay, so as in this spell is... Sentient? Yes, all eight, all of the eight great spells are sentient and self-aware. So couldn't it, if it just wanted to, just up and leave? Um, It would need another suitable brain to jump into. Okay. But the problem is, and, and this goes in with the, the storyline of the Light Fantastic, 
the spells in the octavo know that they will need to be said at a certain point in time. But if they are said by the wrong person, it will destroy the universe. Okay, so he was one of the chosen then. Kind of. So will this spell then keep him alive until such time that he needs to cast the spell? It, uh, it will help him. And in, in fact, at the end of the Color of Magic, he falls off the world. Okay. And the, the spell works to kind of rewrite reality so that he doesn't die. Does it bring him back to Discworld? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. I can I can see something like that happening. Alright, so uh, one thing that we I had brought up but we didn't really talk about was, and we'll, we'll get back to the different tracks on this, but in Discworld there's a thickness to it. Do you do they ever describe what the thickness is? No. The dwarves are miners, yep. as we talked about, kind of like D&D dwarves. Yeah. And there are some groups among the dwarves that want to keep going deeper and deeper because they want to see if they can reach one of the elephants. Okay. But there are more groups who stop them because they're afraid that if they dig all the way down, either they're going to hit an elephant in which case the elephant might flinch, which would cause massive earthquakes. Okay. Or they won't hit an elephant, in which case they'll have just opened a hole into space and they're afraid it'll suck all the air from above Discworld into the bottom of Discworld and everybody will die. But if they go through and they don't hit an elephant, wouldn't they just see the turtle? Well, remember, the elephants are standing on the turtle's shell. Right, so So they would see the turtle's shell. Right, but there's space. All right. Remember, logic's yeah, not yeah, doing we're too try- much here. <laughs> now, I'm not an overly logical person, but there's just some basic logic that it doesn't matter if you're logical or not. It's just like, if you... Anyway, so nobody has managed to dig all the way through. At least not and come back to tell about it. Okay. And prove it. Okay. All right. So then, so that was Rincewind. He kind of goes off. He's got this special spell stuck in his head. Um... What else is out there? Uh, another one is death. Okay. Now, death, as he's described in Discworld, is an anthropomorphic personification. Basically, he's a shared belief or idea that has taken human-like form. Okay, so is he pictured as tall guy, robes, scythe? A seven-foot-tall skeleton in a black robe with a scythe and glowing blue pinpoints for eyes. Hey, yeah, that sounds about right. Yes. Because that's how most of humanity envisions him. Yeah, I suppose. At least, even if you don't envision him that way, that's the common perception of right. what he would look like. Um, Alright, so Death has adventures as well? Yes. Uh, in one book, he takes an apprentice and okay. adopts a daughter. Okay. Um, the apprentice and the daughter as so often happens in medieval setting they literature. They fall in love. Fall, well, they, they like each other and decide that, okay, yeah, we'll get married. Okay. Um, How does Daddy take this? Not well. In fact, <laughs> Apprentice and Death, um, and the Apprentice's name, appropriately enough, is Mort. Okay. So they, I guess I see that. Yes. Uh, they end up fighting a duel. And at the end of it, Death decides to turn over Mort's hourglass, which is the representation of his life. Okay. So basically, he 
changes reality. Gives Mort X amount of time to live? Kind of. Uh, basically sends him back into the world. Now Mort knows it since it, he flipped his hourglass over. He has as long left to live as he has already lived. So okay. it's kind of like an egg timer. You turn it over part way So through. if he was 25, he's got another 25 years. Right. Okay. All right. So, and what about the daughter? What happens with the daughter? Uh, they get married. Okay. Uh, they have a daughter. Okay. And she inherits some of Death's powers. All right. Does Grandpa Death ever come visit? Yes. Oh, okay. Actually, they bring her to his little pocket dimension. Okay. To visit until they realize that she's not scared. And they're concerned that if they keep visiting, that she's not going to grow up normal. Okay. Well, she is the granddaughter of death. I mean, the chances of her growing up normal kind of went out the window when. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But they're, they're trying to make her normal. And to borrow from Harry Potter, they're trying to make her a muggle. Okay. Essentially, they they don't want her to be aware of the supernatural world. Okay. All right. So we've got we've got Rinswind. We've got Death. What's another main topic flow? The three witches. The three witches. So we're talking like the Sanderson sisters from Hocus Pocus. Um, not exactly. More Shakespearean. Okay. Okay. We we have there, and they represent the classic trope of the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Okay, I see where you're going with this. More yes. of a almost a uh, Scottish play. Uh... Yes, we'll leave it at the Scottish play. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like I said, I'm an English teacher. Yeah. I'm also a theater guy. So. All right. So we have, uh, Magrat Garlic. Her name is M A G R A T. There is a cruel parent out there somewhere. Well, it was an illiterate parent. Wanted to name her daughter Margaret, but wasn't sure how to spell it and was too embarrassed to ask. So Margaret Garlic was what it was supposed to be, and it came out Magret Garlic. Yes, because the mother wrote it down for the priest to to announce the name, and that's what she wrote because that's how she thought you spelled Margaret. Okay. And the tradition of the country where she grew up is that once the priest reads the name, that's the name. Okay. So which number one we have Magrat? Yes, she is the maiden. She is the maiden. So she's yes. never been married. Correct. The whole, the whole, the yes. whole maiden the thing. The whole, yes. All right. For the mother, we have Nanny Og. Nanny Og. Yes. Uh, she is the undisputed ruler of the entire Og tribe. Okay. Uh, she's been married three times that she can remember. Uh, she's buried all. Uh, she's buried all three of the husbands, and as she says, at least two of them were dead when she did it. Well, that's always a bonus. Yes. Obviously, uh, not she, a necessity if you're a witch, but a bonus. Right. She has uh, multiple children and grandchildren, and she does no work around her house because her daughters-in-law do all of it. She just sits around with her pipe and a big glass of whiskey and points out places that they missed. I think I could like Nanny. Yes. And um, the third one is Granny Weatherwax. Granny Weatherwax. Is this She's Nanny's mother? No. No. Are these three witches related in no. any way? No. no. Okay. Uh, they are friends. Okay. In, in so much as uh, people with such strong personalities can be friends. Right, right. Now, the 
part of the reason that you end up with these three and uh, Pratchett talks about this is in the, the early books, you have gatherings of all the local witches. Now I, I should perhaps explain. We talked about Rincewind being a wizard and now we have the three witches. Yes. In Discworld's magic system, wizards are your classic, almost D and D wizards. They so, study books, they learn occult symbols, they write formula on scrolls and they can build some right. magic items, things like that. Okay. Witches are more, unlike um, some belief systems where they say you get your power, witch powers from a pact with an evil being, uh, witches are more along the lines of Wicca, uh, natural magic, so earth, earth magic, okay. things like that. A lot of it is common sense and force of personality convincing, almost a placebo effect. Okay. You feel sick, you go to a witch, the witch gives you something that's a funny color and fizzes when you shake it, so you get better. Okay. Now, Granny Weatherwax calls that headology. Head well, that makes which, sense. Which is basically her, a magic version of psychology. Right, right. You are the witch, you convince them that they're feeling better, and they feel better. Right, so kind of like the uh, southern, uh, the old southern uh, snake oil charmers they used to call them. They'd go yep. through town and... They would heal somebody, which happened to be somebody that worked for them, but then they could convince people, even if it was only temporarily, that they could walk without a crutch or they could they could stop coughing or whatever, and they'd take your money and leave, and then by the time you realized you'd been taken, they were long gone. Yes. Okay. But they did incorporate um, some real elements to it. Okay. For example, there was uh, one person, he came to Granny Weatherwax complaining about back pain. All right. Now, have you ever had back pain? Oh, God, yeah. Okay. Do you feel better after sleeping on a firm mattress or a soft mattress that you just sink into? Uh, personally, I like firm mattresses. I feel yes. better after firm. Most people would say that a, a fir the firmer the mattress, the better it is for your back. Yep. So what Granny did was, and she she describes this person as having auditioned for Village Idiot and twice having been disqualified for being overqualified. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. So wait, yeah, I know that guy. All right, yes. move on. So he comes to see her, and uh, she does a little trick with black thread to open the door, and she calls out his name before he walks in, and it never occurs to him that the path does this little switch back in front of the window, so that anybody sitting in the the front room can see people coming up the path from right. about five minutes away. Right. So she hands him this bottle of bubbly pink liquid and says it's a, a special elixir and uh, tells him that for the, the magic to work, he has to go out and cut a, a pine board and it has to be long enough that it'll fit under his mattress and wide enough to cover most of it. And he's got to sleep on that, like put that under his mattress and sleep on that for a month. And he says, so the knots in my back will go into the pine. She's like, yes, exactly. And the and bubbly potion was just bubblegum juice. Pretty much. But then as he's getting ready to leave, she stands up to walk him to the door and she pretends to trip. And as she pretends to trip, she grabs him by the shoulders and plants her knee in the middle of his back and twists. And anybody so who's ever been to a chiropractor <laughs> realizes that she just relieved the, the tension in his back. Right. And he even describes how, as he's walking, well, like he walked up on these two canes and 
as he's walking away, he's starting to feel better already. And by the time he gets home, he's carrying both canes and he's walking straight. Yep. All right. So, so there's several different stories. This kind of reminds me, um, have you ever, I guess my first question is there, there's two different series of books I want to kind of bring into this. The first one is the Anne McCaffrey series. Um, her, uh, her series about the world of Pern. Yes, the Dragon Riders of Pern and the Harper Hall. Right. Now, do these books, um, since they, they span 40 books, which is more than I think Anne McCaffrey ever wrote, let alone in a series, but hers span a, a great amount of time, and they don't have the same characters all the way through. Correct. I've read some of them. Okay. Yes. Is, is this the same kind of setup? Or do the same characters exist through all the books? The same characters predominantly exist. There are a couple of characters here and there who get killed off, but okay. none of the main ones. Okay. Um, what Pratchett does with a, a lot of his Discworld is, and the reason I mentioned satire earlier, is he's using Discworld to poke fun at our world. Okay. Now, he is British. When he wrote when he was alive, he lived in England. And so most of his setup, most of his social and governmental institutions are decidedly British. Okay. But there are um, recognizable elements of other nations in the world, um, Russia, the U.S., Australia, China, Japan, the Middle East, etc. But the time span it covers is pretty much, you, you would see elements of about the mid-70s to modern day. Okay, so a good 50 years or so? So Probably. it's it's really conceivable that somebody who was there in the beginning is still going to be there in 50 years. Yes. So, okay. Um, the other series of books this kind of makes me think of, and, and I don't know if it works the same way, is I don't, have you ever read the Stephen King, any Stephen King novels? I've read a couple. I've read like It, Carrie, Christine, okay. Cujo, Pet Cemetery, okay. uh, Thinner. Have you read the, um, Dark Tower series. I have not. Okay, now the Dark Tower series is written in such a way that all the books he wrote uh, from, you know, from Carrie being the first one up through when he published the seventh of the, of the Dark Tower series brings them all together. They are all part of the same storyline, even though when you read them the first time, you don't notice it. But then as you go back and read them, because there are a few Stephen King novels. I've read most of them. There are a few that I go back and I reread um, uh, the... Uh, uh, now I'm going to do it. It. I've, I've read mm -hmm. It. The Stand is a big one. Okay. Um, and when you read them again, after reading the Dark Tower series, you're like, oh my. This really does... You know, there's all this... There's Randall Flagg. Flagg is in a few different novels. And then there's the uh, the, the Crimson God, he's called. And, so, and you find out that all these guys are really just Randall Flagg. And uh, is, there any, is there any element like that in his 40 books throughout the series? Without having read the Dark Tower series, I don't think I can say for certain. Okay. I can say that there is a great deal of crossover of characters. Okay. Um, for example, especially Death. Death shows up in a lot, uh, especially the Rincewind books. Okay. Because in the, the series of books that Rincewind has been in, 
He's been subjected to massive amounts of magical radiation. He's been to the beginning of time and the end of time several times. He's been to the underworld, and he's been to other dimensions. So when you say the underworld, you mean by where the elements are? No, no. Oh, the, okay, the, so hell. The, right the the parallel slash parasite dimension of the demons. Okay, okay. And as a result of that, his hourglass that death has is described as having been blown during the glass blowers all open hiccuping championship. <laughs> you have some areas where the, the sand flows down. You have some areas where the sand flows up. You have some areas where the sand flows from one tube to another without seeming to cross the space in between. Okay. And Death, who prides himself on being very punctual and organized, is obsessed with Rincewind because he has no idea when he's going to die. Okay. And so he constantly keeps an eye on Rincewind. And every so often, whenever Rincewind's in danger, and Rincewind is almost always in danger, he shows up and just kind of tags along, just in case this is the time. Okay. And it makes Rincewind very frustrated. I, you know, if Death started showing up at the office where I'm working, I'd probably get a little upset and nervous, mm -hmm. too. So, all right, so let's look at this from from a guy who wants to, let's say I want to sit down and read uh, Terry Pratchett. And I say to you and I say, Scott, what book do I start with? Is it a type of series where you say, well, you start with The Color of Magic because it was the first book written? Or is there some other book that introduces you more to the Discworld setting in a better way than, say, the first book? I think part of that would have to be depending on what kind of reader you are. Now, for me, I actually started with The Color of Magic and the Light Fantastic. Okay. I had a friend in college who had them and said, these are great, you've got to read them. And one of the things that got me interested in it was there were several reviewers who said, Terry Pratchett does for fantasy what Douglas Adams did for science fiction. Okay. Now, Douglas Adams... Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide, Guide to the Galaxy. Yep. I love him. Again, another author taken from us too soon uh, by an, an unfortunate medical condition. In Adam's case, I believe it was uh, an abdominal aortic aneurysm. or He, okay. uh, he had a, a heart issue that they said even if he'd been in the hospital when it happened, they probably wouldn't have saved his life. Okay. All so, right. And I was a huge Douglas Adams fan, and so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a try. I have to admit, the color of magic and the light fantastic are a little dense. Okay. And that's kind of par for the course for a, an initial book or two in a series. Right. He's trying to establish things. Right, you're trying to establish things. You don't know if you're going to have a contract for the next book. Right. So you want to get as much done in a book as you can. Right. Now, if... I were going to suggest a book for a more casual reader. Like or, me, someone who sits on the toilet and reads? Right. I would probably go with Guards, Guards. Okay. Now, Guards, Guards is the first book in what I call the Cop series. The Cop series. Okay. Yes. Um, it, one of the, the series, along with Rincewind and Death and the Three Witches, is the City Watch of the city of Ankh-Morpork. Okay. It is the largest city on Discworld. Um, it's essentially a city-state. It, it's considered its own nation, even though it's one giant city. Okay. 
And I, I love the forward to it. All right, before we get into that, yep. one of the things that I was going to ask you is with Discworld, is it a single continent? Are there several continents? Are there one ocean, several oceans? There are a couple of oceans, and there are at least three continents. There's the, the main one, which you the first, I think probably 10 or 12 books mainly deal with. Okay. And that has Ankh-Morpork. It has other city-states and countries that you recognize as analogs of France, Spain, Italy. So, uh, Europe. Middle East, yes. <laughs> okay. And remember, he's, he's British. Well, he's British, right. So, he's, right, he's writing about England things and continental knows. Europe. Yeah, right. things he knows. Then, in one of the books, we get introduced to the counterweight continent. Uh, this continent is on the opposite side of the disc from everybody else. And even though it's slightly smaller, it balances the disc on the backs of the elephants. Um, because, as it's discovered, it has vast deposits of gold and the magical metal Octiron. Octiron. Yes. You'll notice that the number eight features heavily in yeah. Cratchit's magic scheme. Um, if you view light through a prism, most people see the seven colors of the rainbow. If you have the special element in your eye that you can work magic, like a witch or a wizard or something, you actually see the eighth color, which is where the title for the first two books comes okay. from, the color of magic. Uh, it's described as kind of a greenish purple. Okay. It's called Octarine. Okay. And it's commonly referenced in poetry as the light fantastic. Okay. So right. that, that's where the two titles come from. The Color of Magic and it's the Light Fantastic. All right. So, so Octiron is a very magical metal and it is super dense and heavy. Okay. So the Counterweight Continent, however, has so much gold that they use it the way the rest of the world uses things like tin and lead. Like to roof their houses. Um, to make cups out of so now like is this counterweight continent is that the americas no, no. actually that's okay. kind of a cross between china and japan okay so it, it has samurai it has a, a feudal state with an emperor okay but in one of the books it has the peasant rebellion to rebellion to overthrow the emperor and implement a people's committee to run the country on behalf of everybody and that everybody will get a share of everything. And so from Japan to China. Right. Okay, And gotcha. specifically from feudal Japan to communist China. Right, right. Okay. And then uh, in a later book, we get introduced to XXXX, which is the Lost Continent. Um, it's shaped suspiciously like a kangaroo. Okay. And it's a, mostly a giant desert with port cities and stuff around the edges. Um, it's famous for its beer. And there are kangaroos and other weird creatures there. Um, most of them are poisonous. Okay, and I'm getting I'm getting a vision here. Yes. Could this be Australia? You would think. However, they're in the, the beginning of the book that introduces this lost continent. Yes. It specifically says, this is not a book about Australia. Just because it has aborigines with boomerangs and kangaroos and wallabies and dunnies and uh, lots of beer 
it's not Australia. It's just maybe kind of Australian. All right. All right. Good on so, you. Good day, Mike. So, all right. So it's not Australia. Guess what, folks? It's Australia. But anyway, all right. So those are the three continents. All right. So back to your guards, guards. The yes. the cop, the cop series, or uh, yeah, the cop got the good yes. cop series, bad cop series. What are mm-hmm. they? Uh, cops, they are good cop. cops. They they end up being heroes. They're. It starts off with the Night Watch. The, okay. These are the dregs of the dregs. Okay. And the start of the dedication is, uh, they may be called the Palace Guard, the City Guard, or the Patrol. Whatever the name, their purpose in any work of heroic fantasy is identical. It is, round about chapter three, or ten minutes into the film, to rush into the room, attack the hero one at a time, and be slaughtered. No one ever asked them if they wanted to. That's a good point. So in this one, they end up being the heroes. Okay. And it just snowballs from there. Okay. Now, are there certain characters that run through the entire cop series? Yes. Uh, there is Sam Vimes. Sam Vimes. Yes. Uh, he okay. starts off as the captain, and then he ends up being promoted to commander. He rescues and then marries the richest woman in town. Good on him. Yes. Um, she is... Um, she's never been married. She is, at the time they meet, it's not specified because you never ask a lady her age, but she is probably in her late 30s to early 40s. Okay. And he's of similar age. All right. So uh, when they get married, he retires, but another main character in the, the series, Carrot, Iron Founderson, who is a human who was rescued as a baby by dwarves. I was, was going to guess rabbits, but okay. Yes. Uh, well, they call him Carrot because he has red hair. Okay. And he's about six foot six, and he's built like a butterfly swimmer. Massive shoulders, tapering down to the, the waist and legs. So he in silhouette, he looks kind of like a carrot. Okay, I get that, but won't he have green hair and then, like, the Donald Trump complexion? Yeah, you would think, but again, no logic. <laughs> right, right. So they, okay. they called him Carrot because of the color of his hair. All right. He took the last name Iron Founderson because he was adopted by a dwarven king. Now, in Discworld, every mine has a king because king in dwarvish just means mine supervisor. Okay, so if you're the boss, you're the king. Right. All right, fair enough. And so... He, they raise him as a dwarf and then raise him further as a human. And they get to realize uh, that... Wait, yes. I think I got... So they raise him as a dwarf till he's a certain height. And then as he gets taller, they raise him as a human? Yes. Okay. And when he gets to be late teens, early 20s, he's six foot six. He is in excellent shape from working 12, 14 hours a day in, in the mountains, mine. in a mine, yeah. hauling um, loads of ore. Um, but they realize they can't keep him there the rest of his life because he can't stand up straight. He's so tall. He's bent. He spends his whole life bent at the waist. That, and he's starting to get interested in settling down and none of the parents of female dwarves want their daughters married off to a human. For starters, he's only in his early twenties. He'll barely make it another 80 years. Right. If he's lucky. Right. Whereas the, the dwarves are looking at two to three hundred year lifespans normally. Okay. Four hundred or more potentially. Alright, so we're 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 closing in here on that hour. So let's let me ask you this. If what's your favorite book of the series? Ooh. 
That one is really, really tough. I would probably say my favorite book in the series would be Moving Pictures. Okay, and that's in which of the different series split? It's not. Okay, so this is a standalone? Yes, he does have a few standalones. Okay. And Moving Pictures is one of them. And it, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm really into TV and movies. And Moving Pictures is basically skewering Hollywood. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, um, let's just say uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for sitting down and doing this with me. Um, I'm hoping at some point we'll get to sit down and do this again. I would uh, like that. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here. Um, this next segment that, uh, of this would be is where I would read emails from um, from from listeners. But um, since we're just putting some in the can right now, nothing's out there for you guys to listen to. So what I'm gonna do instead is I'm gonna give you the email, and this is a good place for you to drop us a line. Tell us if tell tell me if I'm doing well. Tell me if I'm doing bad. Tell me if there's um, you know any type of constructive criticism i i'm willing to to take and listen to and and as we move on and as emails start coming in i will start reading them on the air um but for right now just go ahead you can drop me an email at uh whose podcast is it at gmail.com um and i will uh start reading those on the air as they come in good bad and different i i'm actually looking for all these things because the only way for me to get better at what we're doing here is to hear what you guys like and don't like. Um, so instead of just turning me off and not listening to me, send me a letter and see what I can do to to uh, make it better. Um, next week, uh, this uh, this is the end of episode three. So next week we'll be doing episode four. Uh, coming in, I have Zave the First. Um, he's a gamer friend of mine as well. Um, I really don't know what Dave's going to talk about. Um, he uh, he uh, pictures himself as a um, relatively intelligent person, and I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, but he's also big into board games and games in general. So my guess is that we're going to be talking about classic board games. You know, not your not your Payday or Sorry or Yahtzee or anything like that. I'm talking the classic, uh, maybe something like an Avalon Hill type games. So that's going to be my guess for Zave. Um, so then we end tonight with a quote, and I'm going to have Scott here guess and tell me if he can, or I'm guess if he knows who said this. So the quote is, keep your face to the sunshine and you cannot see a shadow. I don't think I've heard that quote um if i had to take a guess i i'd say that that would almost kind of strike me as a dr seuss thing to say okay i can see that when i first read it i always think of like the old irish you know the irish like may the road rise to right. meet you may your soul be in heaven a half Correct. hour before the devil knows you're dead sort of thing right exactly okay. And we're both very wrong. Believe it or not, that was said by Helen Keller. Okay. How could she tell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she could obviously tell if the sun was in her face. Right, she could feel the warmth on her skin. But I don't know I don't know anything behind this. I don't know and maybe that's something I need to do is sit down and figure out when she said this and why she said this. 
But uh, yeah, the the place that I found it, it was it was given the credit was given to uh, Helen Keller. So okay, we That's learn something new every day. Yes. All right, and with that, I'm going to say thank you for listening. Hope to see you around on the next episode, and until then, good night.